Well, this morning we are bringing to a close our series as we're going through the Ten Commandments. We're calling it the Ten Words and uh, how these Ten Commandments uh, relate to our lives even today. It's not just something stuck back in uh, ancient times, right? God has laid out and also confirmed even in the New Testament uh, in some lists of, in terms of our virtues that we should have as followers of Christ, he's listed some of these same commands, right? Um, but, you know, we've said from the outset here that um, nobody can keep all these commandments <laughs> all the time, right? And that's why we need a Savior. And so, you know, we don't want anybody coming away from this series thinking that we're, we're preaching kind of moralism, just try to be better, you know, um, now, we should try to pursue a godly life, but uh, we cannot do that apart from Christ. You need a relationship with the living Savior, okay? And so, uh, he's, he gives us these commands uh, because they also reinforce how he wants us to relate to him, right? Uh, that first tablet, as it's called, of the, of the commands really relate to our relationship with God, and we're finishing up. Uh, here on the 10th commandment, uh, one of the commandments that relates to how we are to relate to each other, right? And so it really, in a sense, these uh, 10 commands also, you know, just relate directly to what Jesus said was a summary of the commandments, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? That is a summary of, of the law, but nobody can keep the law perfectly. And that was one of the purposes of the law was to show us that to show us our sin, kind of as a mirror of our soul that show us our need, right, to, to bring us to Christ, to see, I need a Savior. I need to be saved from my sins. I am a sinner, you know, all of that. And so, um, but, but knowing that and having a relationship with the living Savior, if you put your faith in Christ, then we see that He has a, has a way He wants us to live in, right? Uh, a, a, a way he wants us to live and relate to each other. So that's where we are. It's kind of a, just a reminder to keep these commandments in perspective. And uh, today we're hitting on Exodus twenty seventeen, And let's just take a look at that verse. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And um, I think this kind of brings up the question, you know, what is coveting? It's always good to just kind of define what we're talking about, right? Uh, well, dictionary.com says to desire, you know, the authority. The, <laughs> to say, um, I'll get to some more specifics in a minute. But, you know, the desire, to desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the rights of others. I think it's a fair definition of what covet is. Uh, but I do want to mention, too, that Kevin DeYoung in his book on the Ten Commandments uh, does a good job of explaining the biblical concept of coveting. And he, men he mentions two things. The first thing, he says, is we covet when we want for ourselves what belongs to someone else. We, we want for ourselves what belongs to someone else. And so coveting is more than thinking. It's a great, it's more than thinking that it's great, uh, I It'd be great to have a nice house, or I'd like to have a better job. Okay, that that's not that's not wrong to to think that to want 
you know, to have a better job, to want to have a better job. Coveting uh, longs for someone else's stuff to be your stuff. Okay, uh, coveting says, "I want your house." Okay, uh, and so, or I would want your job. And some of you might say, "Well, you can have it." <laughs> you know, but 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 that's the you get the idea of what coveting is. That's one aspect of it, right? Um, and a second thing that Young mentions is this: is we covet when our desire leads to or is an expression of discontentment. So it's, it's not, you know, so these desires can lead to an unhealthy, uh, out of whack, uh, just discontent with the way my life is. I want my life to be like her life or his life. Why can't my life be more like theirs? That discontentment is really just a coveting coming out in a different way. Okay, so so that's what coveting is, just in, the, in a short uh, explanation. Now, in, uh, we're not going to turn here, but in 1 Kings 21, we have a, a, a great example, if you can say it's a great example of coveting, <laughs> an example of coveting. Let's go with that. Um, and uh, we went over this uh, some months ago when we were in the book of 1 Kings, but uh, King Ahab, um, not such a great guy. Uh, and his wife Jezebel, not such a great gal, by the way, if, you, if you're not sure of that. But but King Ahab wanted to purchase a, a guy, uh, a vineyard, who was owned by an, a man by the name of Naboth. Naboth and Naboth had a vineyard right next to where uh, King Ahab was living, and so the king wanted his vineyard. Okay, uh, and and so but Naboth declined. Like you know, I like my vineyard, and no, you can't have it. All right, um, King Ahab went home and uh, told Jezebel, his wife, and, you know, she saw him pouting there, so she kind of, uh, he, he tells her what happened. You know, I, I can't have the vineyard over here. And so uh, Jezebel, uh, if you know Jezebel, she said, well, I'll take care of that. So what she did was she had a party, and she invited Naboth, the man who owned the vineyard that Ahab wanted. And so Naboth was present, and Jezebel bribed two men sitting next to Naboth to falsely accuse him of blasphemy. Okay, and blasphemy accusation is, is not a minor infraction there in the Old Testament. It was, you know, punishable by death. And, of course, here these, you remember the, you know, should not bear false witness. Well, here we have a great example of that. These two men saying, yeah, he, he blasphemed God and the king. And so they, everybody was all in an uproar right at the party, so they took him out and they stoned him to death. Now he's got the vineyard, right? So this is just uh, his desire for someone else's stuff led to breaking all kinds of other commandments, right? <laughs> and this is why I think it's important that, you know, some people kind of downplay coveting. They kind of say, well, it's kind of like a minor infraction. But the issue is that can you see how of falling into that can maybe cause you to break other commandments in God's will. In this case, murder, theft, you know, resulted as a, you know, as a result of someone's coveting. And so uh, the Apostle Paul puts this in perspective here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, um, speaking to believers, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives a list sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
You get that? There's a link between coveting and idolatry. In other words, I want some, something is having, uh, uh, is starting to take the place of God in my life. It's central, the seeking of it, the wanting of it, or the wanting more of it. Um, our culture is consumed with materialism and wanting more and better, upgrading this and upgrading that, right? Uh, and so, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with, <coughs> you know, wanting something better for your family. Um, as usual, um, you know, material things are to be used and enjoyed as gifts from God, but they should never be central and take the place of God in our lives where we're all about seeking, you know, all about, you know, getting more money, all about getting more stuff, and that becomes the focus. And so it's just um, a, a desire gone awry. And so a um, couple thoughts here. Uh, some expressions of coveting could be hurting other people to get what you want, right? If, you, if you're willing to step on people to get what you want, get that promotion, to get, this, you know, get something over and above them, uh, you might be coveting. Uh, if you are consistently uh, con- constantly trying to acquire more stuff, make more money, if that's your focus, you might be coveting, right? If uh, you're unwilling to give up what you have. You know, sometimes in life, we have to lower our standard of living or whatever, you know, some sacrifice for the family, for somebody else. And that, that sometimes would involve a decision to give up something that's yours, right? So if we're reluctant to do that, um, if we just want to avoid at all costs, you know, being unwilling to give up what we have, we might be coveting. And you might be coveting if you regularly complain about your circumstances compared to other people. You might be coveting then. Again, you, this is between you and God, but these are some indicators, like kind of like dashboard lights on a car saying something might be off here. Right? Um, okay, well, with that, it's kind of focusing in on uh, the, the, what God is prohibiting here. Let's look at the positive. What is he trying to reinforce? What does he want us to be pursuing then? Well, contentment. He's calling us to be content, basically. Um, and uh, I think that there's a number of things uh, we could look at in this call of contentment. There's much said about the scripture in the scriptures and God's word about being content. But the first thing is, is I think we need to understand that uh, contentment is learned. (laughs) Contentment is learned. You're not going to be able to go and buy a can of contentment off the shelf somewhere, okay? You're not, you know, uh, and and if there is a book you can read that says Five Steps to Contentment, don't read it because it's not going to be that easy. Now, there might be some tips in there that might be helpful, but it's just not going to be like, you know, drive-through contentment where you just pick it up and you've got it. It's going to take time. God's going to have to work this out in our lives, and we are going to have to grow in contentment, okay? So I think this is important for us to understand that. And the Scripture bears this out, okay? It bears this out in Philippians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, writing to us from a prison, writing to some people from a prison, and here we're reading his letter. Now, you know, talk about uh, an opportunity to whine and complain he is in prison for his faith. 
But the letter of Philippians, if you read it, that one of the main themes is joy. <laughs> How is that possible? Well, let's take a look here. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, not, Paul, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Okay, do you get that? Learned. He learned it, right? Um, in whatever situation he's in, he says, I'm, I've learned this. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He's known what it's like to have very little, and he's known what it's like to have much. And he says, I've learned how to be content in either end of that spectrum. And then he says, I can do all things through him, meaning through Christ, who strengthens me. And so he's really saying that uh, this is something that is learned, and what he has learned is related to his relationship with Jesus. Okay, did you get that? So first thing here is this, that contentment is learned, and that it links us, and as we'll go on to say here next, is that we must know the one who satisfies our deepest longings. The reason, the reason that Paul could say this is because he had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay? This is critical. He could not have learned this contentment without this relationship with Jesus. Okay? And neither can we. We cannot. Okay? We can, we, uh, there is a, it, it, I don't know if you've caught this or not, but this is one of the commandments that really focuses in on the heart. Now, yes, you can relate the other ones to the heart too, but as they are read, this one, coveting, just directly, explicitly speaks of an attitude, a heart thing, an internal thing, right? And um, because of our, we're, the sin nature we're born with, uh, we're broken people, okay? We need, we need fixing, <laughs> if you will. We need the Savior. We need uh, his, the Holy Spirit to be given to us to help us to uh, learn contentment as believers, okay? And so uh, I want to take a look at uh, some things here uh, that Jesus says, okay? So keep in mind, okay, contentment is learned, and then as believers, right, that contentment is going to come from leaning on our relationship with Jesus, okay? This is important. So take a look here, um, Oh, I didn't read the last one, did I? I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Then, okay, here we go. Jesus saying in John chapter 6, verse 32 to 36, says, Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So you remember in the, maybe remember in the wilderness wanderings of God's people, how he provided for them supernaturally with something called manna, Right? And uh, it was the daily miracle, right? And then even over the weekend, when they were supposed to observe the Sabbath, he gave them extra to carry them over. Just amazing, amazing and miraculous. And Jesus is saying, you know, it was not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven, but my Father, and he gives you the true bread from heaven. He's now starting to point to himself. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Here, now, so Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, he is the bread. And he said, I've come down from heaven so that you would have life, that you would have life. 
And then in verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. It's like, hey, sign me up. <laughs> you know, if this is, can I, where can I buy that bread? Is it in Aldi? Where is it? I want it, right? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He's like, if you didn't get before, now we're, I'm just telling you, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's talking spiritually here. He's saying, listen, you've got um, this missing piece, if you will. You've got this missing piece in your life, and you'll try to search all over to try to fulfill this hunger that's in you, and you're not going to find it anywhere but in Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm the one. I'm the missing piece. No one else and nothing else will satisfy like me. That's what he's telling them. That's what he's saying by saying, I am the bread of life. You know, whoever uh, comes to me shall never hunger and never thirst again. He's like, I'll satisfy you. I will satisfy those deepest longings that you're trying to search for. In verse 36, um, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You see, so the key there is, um, there, he's saying like, you've seen me, you've seen what I've done here, you've seen the ministry and my proclamation of the kingdom of God is here. He's saying, you know what? You want to participate in that kingdom? You want to be totally satisfied? I'm the guy. I'm the one that you need to pursue. I'm the one that you need to believe in. And that's what I wanted to point out with this last verse is just that, you know, how do you come into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ? Believing. That sounds so simple, okay? But really, in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that's what he tells us, right? If you... If you believe in your heart, right, so that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's, it's a belief, right? Um, now, you can't just believe anything about Jesus, okay? You have to believe how he has revealed himself to us in the scriptures that he is the one and only son of God. He is sinless. He, is, he, he did die and rise again from the dead. All of that, okay? Um, so I would encourage you, if you are pursuing and wanting to know more about this Jesus, you need to read the Gospels. Gospel of John, whatever you choose, okay? One of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you get in there, you ask Jesus every time you are reading the Scriptures, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to know all about you. I want to know, are you the Savior? He'll show you. Because if He's working on you and drawing you, He's going to show Himself to you. Um, but let me just tell you what, Jesus will satisfy your deepest longings, okay? Um, and, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire other things, like I said before. Um, God's put desires within us. It's a matter of they need to be channeled uh, with guardrails, right, um, and so on. But, but Jesus, you need a relationship with Jesus, and it comes by believing, right? Um, Believing that you're in need of forgiveness because we're all sinners. Believing Jesus is the Savior God sent to provide forgiveness and the means of knowing God personally. There is no other way to know the living God but through Jesus. Okay? There's no other road to take you there other than through Jesus. And Jesus actually made that claim. Right? That's why 
in a sense, he's so controversial, controversial to some because he said, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A very exclusive claim, um, and, but nonetheless true. So, um, and most people, when they transfer their trust or put their belief in Jesus, it, it may come in the form of a prayer. It's just an expression of your heart. and um, Nothing magical about the particular prayer except to just express to God your need for Him and your need for forgiveness and your desire to know Him. And however you might express that to Him, uh, you know, do it because that's how you believe, right? Uh, you just It's kind of like you're just transferring your trust because everybody's believing in something to make them right with God. Some people are believing that their good deeds will outweigh their bad, and then on Judgment Day, they're kind of like the scales tip their way. Uh, others just believe that, you know, God's just going to forgive everybody. You know, it doesn't really matter, like blanket coverage. Though, neither one of those um, ways of thinking is, is the way God shows us in Scripture, okay? Um, and so, so what we have to do is realize that our deeds are like filthy rags to a holy God that we need someone else's deeds put to our account, and that's Jesus, right? All of that. So just know this, you know, uh, we have to know the one who satisfies our deepest longings if we want to learn contentment. It starts with a relationship. It starts with a relationship. It's learn. It starts with relationship, okay? And not everybody, we're not, none of us are born into this world having a relationship with God, okay? Because we're born in sin, and that sin nature has to be taken care of has to be forgiven. Okay, now, what, what after that? Um, start valuing what God values. If we want to learn contentment, start valuing what God values. So, so you come into this relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you start getting into the Word of God, and you start learning the things that God loves and values and how He wants you to live. So, for example, if you take a look in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, the Apostle Paul says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. See, there were others who were boasting about, you know, their, their greatness and how, uh, you know, in terms of their, their accolades, their degrees, their things that make them look great in the world's eyes. He says, I, I have some credentials too, Paul says. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he starts listing these very Jewish, kind of like top-notch Jewish credentials. Um, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, right? So um, he persecuted the church, if you don't know that, part of his story. He killed Christians and had them imprisoned, people who were following the way of Jesus, because he had not... He hadn't understood who Jesus really was. He thought he was doing God's bidding. So to a Jew who was not converted, he was doing God's work, right? As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He said, I kept the law. Uh, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, all those things that, that uh, men and women say are like, you know, these make you great. These things, you know, make you great in the world's eyes. He said, I counted that all loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I'd give all that up to know Jesus. And so he's really putting things in perspective. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Do you hear in his voice, in a sense, his, he just wants to know Jesus better. He already knows him. He has a relationship with him. But he wants to know him better. He's like, oh, he just, that's what he wants to do with his life. He's like, all this other stuff doesn't matter. He's starting to take on kingdom values, God's values, right? And so this is, this is important for us to see, uh, just this whole um, concept here of what he's, he's telling us of just, you know, you put no confidence in the flesh. flesh. Everything is trying to learn what God says is priority, okay? Think about that. Have you, have you, um, do you try to order your life according to God's priorities? What does He say is important? You know, have you, have you thought about that? Have you looked at the scriptures as you're reading and in devotional times, saying, "I want to learn what God's values are. I want those to be mine because I'm a Christ follower. I want to make what He says should be first in my life, and so on. I want that to be." The measure, not the measure of what other people say or what our culture says is great. Okay? Now, last thing I want to mention here in terms of learning to be content, right? So we've got to, we've got to know that it has to be learned. It's not instantaneous. And then we have to realize, well, we can't really learn uh, to be content unless we have a relationship with Jesus. And within that relationship, then, as we take in God's word, uh, as His Holy Spirit, you know, is inside every believer, He helps us learn kingdom values. What are what are important things to God? Then, lastly, and this kind of gets down to the brass tacks of daily life, is to trust in God's sovereign plan and provision for your life. You know how I said, you know, you might be coveting if you find yourself complaining regularly about how your life compares to someone else's, right? It, this is where the rubber meets the road right here uh, is, is uh, this, I mean, this is really, think about the promise of Romans 8.28, which says, and we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a promise to all believers. He's saying whatever's going on, whether you view it as bad or good in your life, he says, I'm working it all together for good. I've got a master plan. And um, so you have to, so that takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? It takes total trust. I, you know, I have one class I teach at Columbus State that where I tell them, um, I said, the way we teach this class is kind of counterintuitive to how you've ever probably learned in a classroom. So I tell them, you have to trust me, even though they don't know me. Okay, they don't know me from Adam's house cat, as we used to say, but but I say you've got to trust me because this is a proven method. Okay, and I say if you believe me, things will go well. If you fight me every tooth and nail, you're going to fail. That's pretty much, and I got the stats to prove it. Okay, <laughs> uh, so so you know what we got to do is we got to believe and trust God. He's a good God, and even though the things we go through be very very difficult at times, right? Um, and that, that we have to trust him that he is working all things, right, together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we have to sit on that promise, folks. 
because, you know, people right now, right here in this little church, are going through very, very difficult times, okay? And, um, and, and you, you may be one of them, and you may know about them, but, our, you know, our times are coming at points, you know? We all, life ebbs and flows, right? Um, but what we need to do, if we're going to learn to be content, is to trust that God's in control, and he's even working through those circumstances. Now, um, when you think about it, Worry can really steal our peace and contentment, can't it? Worry. Worry is a big one uh, as I think about the enemies of contentment. And uh, Jesus had some things to say about worry uh, in one of the longest recorded sermons that Jesus gave, uh, written down here at Matthew chapter 6, 25 and 26. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's like, if I've got the birds of the air covered, I've got you covered. I'll meet your needs. And I was, I was reading this passage uh, for a discipleship group that I'm in. I was reading this, and that last sentence got me. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Like life is more, much more about than the stuff we need. Okay? Our relationship with God, God is doing so much more than that. Now, yes, are the basic needs important? Of course they are. And, and Jesus actually even goes on to tell us later there um, in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you would tend to worry about, he says, I'll take care of those. I will provide for you if you get your kingdom priorities straight. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, he says. What a great promise. What a great promise. And um, I think when we have those two things together, we think about God's sovereign plan for our lives, that he's in control, and the fact that he promises to provide, you put those two things together. Whatever you're going through, he can help us learn to be content. Um, I want to, uh, to end with this quote here from J.I. Packer. Uh, he says this, he says, To realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord, and doesn't every believer have the promised presence of God in their life? The Holy Spirit living in you? You've got, that's a promise. He says, To realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord who both orders one's circumstances and gives strength to cope with them is the final secret of contentment. I say amen to that. Because that's it. That's it. Right? Yes. And uh, I, I, just, I just think that's, it really is. He's like, he's really telling us what the scriptures preach and teach us is that we can learn contentment if we realize God is with us. He's promised to be with us in and with us, whatever is going on. And that he's promised to provide. All right? So, all right, let's just close with that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your promise of provision, for your promise of your, just knowing that you are the sovereign rule of the universe, that you do promise in Romans 8, 28, to work all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, help us to, if we have not been entering into the school of learning to be content, help us, God, to to enter into that.
Help us to submit to what you're doing in our lives. Maybe some very difficult things. Um, but help us, Father, to learn contentment. Help us to not let the desire, help us by your power of your spirit to not desire material things uh, in an unhealthy manner. Um, help us to, to be happy for others that uh, are maybe in even better situations that we see ourselves, but to see that you have us where we are for a reason. You've got some things you want to do in our lives. And as believers, we know that you finish what you start in us, and we know part of that process of making us more Christ-like um, is going to come about through some difficult situations and learning to lean on you and to, to, to trust you and to learn contentment. God, help us. Help us with this. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.